Okay. Uh, at least I have batteries this week, and it shows about half now. And that meant last week it went out after 11 minutes. You know what I did with that? I went home and I re-recorded that. It's amazing how quick I can get through it whenever I do it on my own. <laughs> so the shortened version. <laughs> but anyway, this might go out. And Zach, I do have the bag back here, and the batteries are in the back. So in case it does go out, I'll let you know, and uh, we'll, we can just put them in there. Otherwise, we're okay. But... Um, he wants them to understand a mystery, and he wants them to understand a lot of deep things that he has here in Ephesians. And he gives a great prayer in Ephesians 1 as uh, the last half of it there, where he starts with 15. Um, he starts that they would, he's giving thanks to them, that, that he would know uh, the wisdom, wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of uh, Christ that their eyes would be open, they could understand all these deep riches of the glory of God, right? Remember that? Well, when you get into chapter 3, he's ready to burst out in another prayer. And he does do it. But right in the very first verse, he's going to change gears for about 13 verses. Because as he starts this prayer, it's like he thinks of something else that he wants them to know. And then he's going to come back in a prayer, and he wants them to know what this really is. I mean, this is really great. I mean, this is fantastic, a mystery that he has. He's excited. You guys ever get excited about God's Word? Well, when Paul had something, he had direct revelation, which they did not know, and he's now revealing. And he couldn't wait to tell them. And uh, so that's what we're moving into. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Let's, uh, let's have a word with the Lord. Father, we thank You for who You are. You are the great God, the God who has revealed Himself, and yet there are things that You have not revealed that You choose not to. But what You have revealed is way more than enough. It is incredible. We can't take it all in with what Your written Word is and that You've given to the apostles that have been written down, handed down through uh, Your people. And here we are today with uh, our own Bibles reading about You and what You have for us. Uh, that is just simply amazing, that you would care for us enough that you would want us to know you intimately. And now you get us into a situation that goes a little bit deeper into the very mystery of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for that. We uh, look for your guidance, your direction, your Holy Spirit teaching us tonight in, in your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first part here is uh, he's a prisoner. Everybody knows Paul's a prisoner every time he uh, writes a letter. Uh, I, Paul, a prisoner. No, some, usually an apostle. But he does mention that he is a prisoner occasionally. Um, he starts off with this. For this reason, after he's given us those three illustrations of what the church is, that being the kingdom, the household, and the temple. Now, for this reason, and if you look over in verse 14, what does he have? For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not reading into this text, I don't think, uh, because any commentator I've ran into have mentioned this is called a digression. Now, that sounds bad, but it's good. Paul will do that. And And it's okay because he's inspired by God to do that. Not the most, not the best thing to do in an English class. You know, don't digress. And that's why people in literary form uh, are driven crazy by Paul. For this reason, I, Paul, and then he says the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, and what he's going to start doing is to show what his mission is. 
I'm a prisoner, uh, and he mentions the Gentiles, and where he's taking this to now is a little bit different from where the prayer is going to go. He'll get back to that. You've talked to people where they have started on something and all of a sudden they're off here on some other direction. Yeah, you're looking at one right now. I'm always doing that, aren't I? I'm always digressing. He goes, hey, get back to this topic. you know. But what we have is the context. Jew, Gentile, you follow with that? No problem, right? They're together in the church. He's moving right on with that thought. You can say, this is cool. I understand, Paul. And all of a sudden, now he's starting this all the way for 13 more verses now. Uh, quite, quite lengthy. Most people, like I was saying, in literature would criticize Paul to death, and they do. You get some English teacher who is really into the rules of uh, literary forms, and they'll eat Paul to death in the way that he does this kind of thing. A bad literary form. But remember, the Holy Spirit's writing this through Paul. So it's it's got to be right. Uh, Paul has something on his mind, and God is putting that in there too. He's going to write about what his ministry is about, his whole calling, uh, the office that he has, um, why is he a prisoner? And it's pointing to the great object, the very purpose of uh, what he's speaking about here. Paul wants to take him to higher heights. He's going higher. He goes higher. Chapter one. I thought it was. I thought it was over. I said, okay, that's it. Now we're going to kind of get on the level here, and it just keeps going further up. Have you noticed that? There's <laughs> a lot of, a lot of height, a lot of depth here uh, through Paul's writing, anyway. Um, People who would criticize Paul are the scholarlies. They would tend to think that um, it should always be philosophical, should be arranged in an intellectual style, and it should focus on the literary form. Uh, the Catholic Church had that kind of preaching just before the Reformation, and everything was in a literary, philosophical form, and it was only intellectual. It was very dry. It was very barren. There was no life to it. You can be so literary that there's no life in the writing, whether it be something about spiritual matters or any topic for that matter. What the Reformation did was bring life back to preaching. Yeah, they preached, but it was purely on a sophist level, an intellectual level. So the Reformation comes along and an entirely new method starts with a man by the name of Martin Luther, who we've talked about so many times, and he does some expository preaching. Imagine that! A new method, expository preaching. And of course, John Calvin even refined that further. Probably the expositor of all expositors was John Calvin. And uh, he did something that nobody probably had ever done. He preached through books. Didn't go anywhere else but that book that he was in. And if he preached on a Sunday morning, then Sunday night he'd be preaching from another book. On uh, Tuesday he'd be preaching from another book. And on Wednesday he'd be preaching from another book. And maybe on Friday another book. He preached three, four times a week. So he had to get caught up, at least to the people who had never heard the Word of God. And so... Uh, this is what we're talking about. That, that in uh, expository preaching may not be in the literary form that uh, the people would like. Well, what happened is that it started going back to that intellectual literary form where the Anglican 
church um, picked back up on what had been done before, like the the Catholic Church, and uh, it was again it was dead. It had no spiritual life to it. It was barren. Along about that same time, uh, Jonathan Edwards comes along, and George Whitfield's and and the matter, and you had the Great Awakening, and there Jonathan Edwards along with many other Puritans, brought back the expository preaching. He was really the last of the Puritans, Edwards was. And uh, things were really dying out. The Spirit of God and the Word of God, uh, as the Word of God was preached, it brought revival. And there again, the Reformation, and then later after the Reformation, you get it stoked back up again. It's the preaching of the Word. It's done expository. It's done in a way that the Bible is explained. To me, that's the only way the Bible should be used in an expository way, explaining what it is. I think it's very valuable. Paul was uh, inspired by the Word, um, and he knew what he was doing when he did this. Now, I just did a, a digression myself, didn't I? <laughs> As Paul digressed, I digressed. Uh, hopefully for the good. He says this, For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. I, Paul, the prisoner. People would be troubled knowing that he was in prison. This is Paul. The Ephesians know Paul. He's, this is an, uh, an epistle that's written from prison. It's a prison epistle, Ephesians is, like Colossians is. And as he's writing that, they're going, oh, he's in prison. This man brought me to Christ and he's in prison. Wouldn't you be kind of very, well, very concerned about this guy that brought you to the Lord and taught you everything you knew? Well, they're anxious. They're anxious about his health. They're anxious about his whole welfare. And I imagine a lot of them are thinking, why would God allow this to happen? If he is a man of God and he's preaching the Word which he is, why would he let him go to prison? Surely God is big enough. Have you guys ever heard that question about, well, if God is sovereign, why does He allow people to suffer? You get those questions from unbelievers and you get them from believers. I even got one of those today from a believer. Pretty strong believer. This is not Pepsi I'm drinking, so I'm not really advertising it. It's tea. I can only have one Pepsi a week. Okay. Um, this is perplexing. Don't you think sometimes suffering is perplexing when you, you know you hate it and what you're going through? Uh, oh, good example right now is Carolyn going through her back problems that she's having. She's sitting there and she's smiling, but she's not feeling like it. <laughs> I should not laugh, but um, I'm sure she's thinking, why do I have to go through this? Why does God allow this? Do you ever see Paul complain? Paul had an opportunity here. He could have been writing them saying, folks, this is an unfortunate incident that has happened. This is horrible. It is terrible where I'm at. I can't believe God did this, but I'm going to write for Him anyway. Yeah. Sounds like me. <laughs> uh, I think it sounds like every one of us here. Have we ever been there? He has the perfect attitude. 
Paul's not perfect, but he has a perfect attitude. He urges them to look at the problem the way that he does. And that's why he's, he's actually rejoicing in the midst of his trials. He actually has written, I think, something like that before or later, right? Rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. Other writers say that. I think it's in every book. <laughs> I don't know if you can escape suffering. My topic is not suffering tonight here, okay? It's the mystery. But it's a mystery that we have suffering. <laughs> Go to Philippians 1.29. Let's look at a right perspective, and, and we'll move on. I'm, I'm not trying to get into the suffering thing, but you, you just can't get away from it sometimes. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ. It has been granted to you. Not only believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Who wrote Philippians? Paul. I think he understood this. <laughs> that was another prison epistle, wasn't it? Anyway, Colossians 1.24 Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church. Paul said there were more sufferings that needed to go on. Christ did His part. And, of course, the church and Christ is inseparable since He's the head and we're the body, so the sufferings have to continue on to fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions. So the afflictions that happen to Christ are not complete yet as they go through the rest of the body, which is happening today, whatever those might be, physical afflictions, mental, spiritual, persecution, but that's what Paul says about that. And he knows he's in God's hands, and it's okay. He, I mean, he's he's just settled with this. We tend to feel good when circumstances are going good, and we tend to feel really miserable when things are not good, don't we? Don't we tend to do that? Most of you aren't being honest. Well, you're being honest. You're just not commenting. Right? No, Paul lived with such a trust in God, he would write these things, even in the, the terrible situations that he is in. But that phrase, prisoner of Christ, prisoner of Christ Jesus, Paul wrote this. Who did he have around him whenever he wrote this in prison? Did he have a guard tied up to him? Chained up to him? Can you imagine? And imagine the guard had to read what Paul wrote. Sometimes those guards became Christians as a result of it. Imagine the guard when he wrote this, when he said, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Romans? No. Caesar? No. Christ Jesus. Prisoner of Christ Jesus? What are you saying? Why was Paul in prison? Why was he there? Well, if you want to take it all... Well, that's basically what's it. Take it all the way back to the Damascus Road. And an axe there, an axe nine. You know the you know the witness of that. We've talked about this already last last week. Uh, we know he hasn't even broken a Roman law, has he? It was that Jesus told him that he was to take the gospel out out to the rest of the world. He was to take it to the Gentiles, the apostle to the Gentiles. This is staggering. And when you think about it. It's like Paul is saying, in Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was so Christ-centered that even when he was in prison, he was thinking, I'm actually a prisoner of Christ. Uh, 
in Christ, bondservant of Christ, minister of Christ, servant of Christ. Paul is there because of what happened on the Damascus Road. He was converted. Christ came into his life. He saw Christ, literally, we know. But that's what took him to Rome. That's what God had in mind. God already had this figured out. Paul didn't know. Paul knew that later on he was supposed to go to Rome and then to Spain, but he didn't know how he was going to get there. And uh, he got there on a free trip. Free ticket. And uh, <laughs> Do you guys believe in a sovereign God? This is all God's plan. He told, that, he told Paul that he was going to have to go through a lot of suffering. I mean, big time. He had been persecuting the church. So... Uh, but God has all this. It's all a part of God's plan. Once you forget all the prison bars and all the cells that he's in and all the discomforts, you start thinking the way that Paul thinks. So if we can get all that junk out of our lives that bothers us so much and really start focusing on a sovereign God who has this planned, those things that come into your lives are not accidents, are they? They look to be accidents. They're called accidents. But God has something in mind here that's going to work out for good. But what does Paul see? He doesn't see accident. He sees, oh, this is God's grace. Oh, this is what I was supposed to do because this will complete, help complete some of the suffering that the church is to go through. And uh, you know where Paul is sitting at? In heavenly places. You remember in Colossians? We sit in, heaven, in the heavenlies. But how often do we remember that that's where our citizenship is at and that's really where we're at? We're so focused on the things that go here. Uh, Let's turn to Acts 9.15 real quick. This is at, uh, at the house of Ananias. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. This is... Jesus speaking to Ananias, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. <laughs> wow. How would you like to hear that? Acts twenty one twenty eight. You sure you're signing up the right one, Lord? If you remember Moses, <laughs> Acts twenty-one twenty-eight. He's uh, uh, he's arrested. He's in Jerusalem, and they laid hands on him, and then he uh, crying out, "Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place, the temple." And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. He didn't bring them into the the court of uh, the Jews, the court of the men, court of the women. He didn't do that. But word got around that he did that. I mean, but it was he teaches everywhere against the people, the law, and the place. You know where these people were from? They were Jews from Asia. You know where that could be? Some people could have been from Ephesus even. Worth a thought. Interesting. He had been out there. They knew what he taught. And for Jews, they hate it because of the Gentiles. 
because he invited Gentiles into the kingdom, and the Jews hate that. And that's why he got arrested. Were, were these Jewish Christians? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh no, Jews. Okay, Jews. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Say, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, go to Philippians one, twelve through fourteen. But I want you to know, well, when Paul says that, your ears perk up, don't you? Brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That sounds just like Paul, doesn't it? What an attitude. So it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ, a prisoner of Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. There you have other Christians now going out and they're bold. Paul was bold, now they're bold. They have all sorts of confidence. So much it uh, spread for. So Paul was suffering for Christ's sake. He took it as a great privilege in his life whenever things like that happened. What a privilege. For the sake of the Gentiles. That's what he says here in verse 1. I, Paul... This is, this is where his, uh, his digression happens. The prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And he's going to go further and now tell what? What really put Paul into prison is that he went everywhere preaching that the gospel of Christ was as much for the Gentiles as that it was for the Jews. That's what the church is made up. That's what he preached. He just wanted to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to everybody. Do you think that made him popular? <laughs> Among some people. But other people, they hated him. That's what got him into all sorts of trouble. If he would have left that out, maybe it would have been a little bit easier for him. Preaching the gospel is not easy. Never was meant to be. He didn't hold anything back. There's a book out called Radical. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little bit heavy, isn't it, Bill? We might all have to read that radical. What's his name again? David Platt. David Platt. Keep yeah. that name in mind. We'll, we'll start hearing about David Platt. I think it's starting to hit the uh, the Internet already. Uh, it's it's affecting... Uh, I think there was some Calvinists that have already read that and were just kind of blown away by it, too. Away. You know, Facebook. Good way, good way. Uh, but it, it's hard. It's a hard book. You think you might think this David Platt is like Paul. <laughs> I mean, he starts talking about our materialistic world, starts talking about TVs and movies and guitars. all the extra guitars, music stuff. All that Both. stuff we have. <laughs> Cars and <Okay>. Xboxes. <laughs> Playstations, MP3s, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's just let's just move on here. Yeah. He did what he did for the Ephesians as he served them, and so uh, this infuriates the Jews. Why was he in prison? Well, he preached that there was saving grace, and he preached that it was good news for the Gentiles. It's good news for the Jews. The Jews hated them so much. And then when you think of a book like Fox's Book of Martyrs, most of you guys have read that book, right? You think about all the people who 
preached the gospel, and they died for that, suffered. How about the Scottish Covenanters? You guys ever heard of them? They're not as known, but uh, same story as the Fox's Book of Martyrs. They laid down their lives for their Christian faith. It cost them. It was a huge cost. Prisoner of Christ. Paul knows what it's like to be a prisoner of Christ. Now, we move now to the mystery of Christ. Verses 2 through 6. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, you like that phrase? Which was given to me for you. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of His promise in Christ through the Gospel. We'll stop there at verse 6, because that's all I had on the outline. And so we'll start at verse 2. They must have been aware of this fact in some way. He says, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, you might have different translation of dispensation or stewardship. Such. But he's, he's saying this, assuming that you know, you already know this, I'm still going to remind you anyway. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. I'm already assuming that you know something of this. And he uses this word, my version has dispensation there in verse 2. Do you, do you catch a word there? Administration. Do we have another one? Stewardship. Stewardship. All of those are good, aren't they? Uh, the word there is oikonomia. Ooh, that's a neat word. Okinawa. <laughs> Japanese, right? Now we're going into the Japanese translations. Um, by the way, when you say that word, what does it sound like? Oikonama. Oikonomia. Besides... Okinawa. Does it almost sound like economics? That's where economics came from. And uh, economy, which is dealing with uh, like a stewardship being able, or, or what was another one? Administration, to administer economics. You administer financial matters. Well, this is dealing with um, uh, like house, Stewardship. Uh, you've, we saw the word oikos last week when it was dealing with a household. And this is oikonomia, which means a management of a household. Administering or managing a household. That's what Paul uh, was doing there. You have heard of the administering of a household, of the grace of God. Uh, it's when somebody is given a stewardship. Somebody owns some property. Somebody owns a house. They want that a person to come in and manage that household while they're gone for six months. They pay them, uh, but they're like, they don't own that house, but they're running this household for them like it is theirs, but it's not. It's been granted for them to take care of that. That's a stewardship, isn't it? We've been given money, and you've heard of stewardship programs, and it's a it's a it's a money raising project. Usually, for the church is saying, "Hey, you guys better give." <laughs> but, 
But we're stewards. God has given us money. We really don't own it. God owns it. But we have this, and we're to use it for the kingdom of God. You're going to have to have your own clothes and food and everything, but um, but you're sp- still supposed to give some to Him too. That's called good stewardship. And anything that we buy, we want to buy wisely and such. Well, that's managing that. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians here, and he says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, Paul's a steward. He's a steward of the mysteries of God. He's a steward of the gospel, isn't he? That's what we are. We're ministers. We're servants. But here he says stewards. Same kind of word here we're dealing with in Ephesians as in 1 Corinthians. Stewards. Um, that's used uh, a lot. If Are you still in 1 Corinthians? Turn to chapter 9. What's that? Yeah. Servants would be ministers. Probably diakonos there. Uh, it could be another word. I might be wrong. I wish I had a translation. But entrusted. There's an, that, that goes right along with our definition, doesn't it? it? We're entrusted with valuable things of God. We've been entrusted with the gospel, haven't we? He, he trusts us with that. It's just like Christ has left. Uh, we know He's here, but yet you know His body is gone, and we are entrusted with the gospel here to carry that on. Now, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul uh, staying on that same subject, verse 16, uh, 17, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Uh, He didn't have any other choice to do. He had the gospel, and he was to do what with it? Preach it. Yeah. Of course, we know that he's an apostle, but we have the gospel that we've been entrusted, and so with the responsibility, stewardship area, little area that we've been given, we better make sure that that gospel is going out. Yeah. That's we ought to be doing that, huh? We've been chosen to do that. Yeah. Paul knew this. Boy, did he speak on it quite a lot. But just in case that's Paul, let's go over to 1 Peter and let's see what Peter says about something like that. Now, Paul was just a little bit radical. A little bit too far out, wasn't he? What's Peter say? As each one has received a gift for ten. As each one has received a gift, minister... Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We are stewards of the gospel. And whatever gift you've been given, use it, bring it out. The manifold grace of God is there. So there's the idea of a steward. If indeed you have heard the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me, for you, I am sent to the Gentiles. Um, God's grace. Did Paul know about God's grace? What an amazing grace that uh, he was given to be a steward. Um, he was given the Holy Spirit. 
to understand these great deep truths. He preached it. He saw people added to the church constantly. They were brought in. They were redeemed. They were rescued from the very wrath of God. They were elect. They weren't saved yet. Paul brings the gospel there. And uh, many of them became saved as a result. What a purpose. A purpose of, of God. And Paul has an idea what to do with it. So he didn't want any kind of grief over it or sympathy from the people. He takes this as, uh, I think, something really good. A privilege to be the prisoner of Christ. Prisoner of Christ. He's suffering at Christ's sake. Now, steward is another word. I mean, uh, revelation and mystery here. Verse 3, how that by revelation... That's apocalypsis. Which sounds like apocalypse, which is the same thing. Which means unveiling. To take off. Loosen. To unveil. To uncover. So God uncovered this mystery. He unveiled it. Pulls back the curtain. And then you get into this next Greek word is mysterion, which in the English we get mustard. <laughs> mustard. <laughs> Japanese, now it's... Uh... Spicy Chinese mustard. Spice Chinese <laughs> Easy, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> good tea. That pizza didn't fill you up, did it? <laughs> we usually have food there. We don't have food there. Coffee, coffee and tea. Okay, well... What's a mysterion? It's something that was a mystery. It wasn't known before, and now it's been made clear. Uh, Lloyd-Jones says it's something that the human mind can't attain by itself. We can't get into the mystery of Christ without God's Spirit revealing it to us. Now, if you go back to Paul's days, there were mystery religions. And you go back into uh, this area where they're at there, as far as Ephesus is concerned. These mystery religions would only reveal their mysteries to the ones who were members or initiates. And then they would get to a degree to finally where they would uncover the mysteries. And, you know, you really have to work at this to get those mysteries. Of course, the Masonic Lodge uh, has the same kind of procedure. You guys are familiar with Masonic Lodge? Well, they have degrees. And you learn as you go up through them. By the time you get to the 33rd degree, uh, you will know all about what they're about very sinister kind of group it is. <laughs> anyway, we won't get into that, but Paul is using this analogy about these cult religions. That's where it came from. They, they borrowed right from the Eastern religions. Not anything different, but he's describing something that was unknown before Christ. Relatively unknown. They might have had some kind of an idea, but it, it wasn't to its fruition. It... Uh, they knew that there was something about this, this mystery, but they, they couldn't put their 
fingers totally on it. It wasn't revealed fully. It's, it's revealed by the Holy Spirit here in the New Testament. That's what Paul's saying. It was made known to Paul. Book Galatians 1, the book before Ephesians, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Paul doesn't waste any uh, time. Uh, he starts getting on to the Galatians for their legalism, and he just comes in there and defends his apostleship. He says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation, apocalypsis, of Jesus Christ. It came directly from Him. Directly from Him. And Paul wrote direct revelation. That's something that apostles do. We don't do that today. And if we do, we'd have to add on to our Bible, wouldn't we? But um, he was one of those apostles that, uh, that wrote Scripture and uh, directly. And then he says he had insight that was given to him. How that by revelation he made known to me. Or you might have the word insight or something of that nature. Uh, the word is sunesis, and it means to bring together. It means to comprehend, to totally understand. God gave him this revelation and had him understand what this was. And then he wants them to understand what he got directly from God. Can you imagine being taught by the Apostle Paul directly one-on-one? It was like speaking to God in a sense, although Paul is a man, but yet there's direct revelation. Well, we actually get to do that today. We get to sit here and take the time to read. Now, what's that mean? And study it and get out our Greek concordances and dictionaries and commentaries and try to get uh, more deeper meaning with it. But comprehension and understanding. Paul had that, and now he relays it to, uh, to these guys. Paul was uh, going to explain it. He was going to clarify it. Paul was so filled with understanding of this mystery that he was willing to sacrifice his whole life because of these truths. That's how valuable it was to him. He was willing to sacrifice his freedom. He was a prisoner of Christ. <laughs> That's a supernatural enablement. Mm. Yeah, nobody off the street can do that. That's good. What would be if it Well, that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? This guy's crazy. He's loose. Yeah. Yeah. Paul wasn't kidding. I mean, this is for real. The modern church of today, I think, is going to be rocked. Could be very soon. How serious all this is, and and we're uh, we really need we we know what these mysteries are, we know what these truths are, and uh, there are people that we need to be taking it to. Sorry about that. That's <laughs> not apologize. I'm just saying it's what's here. Uh, I think it's a calling to all of us here. Paul is wanting them to understand, so they'll they will do what what he's doing, and uh, that we would here it is two thousand years later that we'd be doing that. This is serious stuff. Um, this this mystery, there's there's kind of a couple of mysteries here. There's a general mystery in what's called the, the mystery of Christ, verse 4, but which then you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. 
general mystery. It's a whole truth concerning Christ. Just, just the whole embodiment of it. It's the whole message of the Gospel. It's the whole message about who Christ is. Paul was consumed with the thought of Christ. Have you noticed that when you read the epistles? Are you noticing it even more and more? I used to notice in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We're in Ephesians, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Go to Philippians, in Christ, in Christ. <laughs> Anywhere you go, in Christ. And then he'll, any chance he has, he'll put that name in there. And so there must be something about that um, that really... You know, he, he's in... He's in love with Christ. I mean, He is His life. Matter of fact, what does He say in Philippians 1.21? Where He's talking about, hey, if I die, I go on to be with Him. Well, if I have to live here, for me to live is Christ. And to die is even better. To die is gain. So we got it really good here. And, hey, we die. Look, look what we really get. But in the meantime, we have things to do here. Colossians 2.3. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Well, these are easy to turn to tonight, huh? This is Christ. Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. There it is. The people in Colossae, Turkey, Greece, Athens, Corinth, they were philosophers. They loved the wisdom that was out there. Paul says, I'll tell you where it's really at. Hey, where's that? It's in Christ. All the wisdom, all the knowledge, that's that's the treasure. That's where it's at, right there. We have that. We have that. We have access to all this wisdom and knowledge. First Timothy three sixteen, the mystery of godliness. Remember that passage? Might have been a an early uh, song for the early church. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What's the mystery of godliness? Well, it's really going to come down to Christ. God was manifested in the flesh, incarnation, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. What's this called? The mystery of godliness. That's the whole story of Christ. From the incarnation all the way up through the ascension. The whole aspect of who Christ is. You know what? I have to wonder if maybe they uh, had. Um, well, you have it when 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 the uh, the church congregation reads back. You know, you might have responsive a responsive reading. It might have been one of the responsive readings, or maybe one of their songs. Did you guys have that kind of set apart from your other verses or verse, and yeah. maybe in bold or italics or something? That's why they they do that sometimes. Uh, the way that Christ has done it. it it is a mystery. The mystery of Christ. Think of how He has done it. Think of the incarnation. No man who thought of this great story would have ever done it this way in the way that He did it. And He could have come down, lived in a castle, lived in a palace. How is He born? In that manger. Being raised up in a very poor town with a poor family. He has two natures. Great is the mystery of Godliness. Two natures. How can He be God and how can He be man at the same time? The sufferings. Why would God want to suffer? The death. Then the aspect of the powerful resurrection of coming to life. What a story. Boy, that'd be a. Wouldn't this make a great movie? 
The ascension. Yeah, yeah, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Don't mess with it. Okay, he's learning from you, Bill. Watch out. <laughs> now that's the general mystery, the mystery of Christ. There's a particular mystery, which we find in verse five, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, the particular mystery is the church is the final form of God's purpose until it is finished. This church. That's us. It's in its final form. Jews and Gentiles are included in one entity. You're a Jew and you're thinking, wow, really? How did I miss that? And Gentiles are thinking, wow, we are in with them. We're in the same body. Yeah, Barb. How did you define that? You said the church is the final what? The, the church is in the final form of God's purpose in, in the sense that when you get in the Old Testament, God reveals Himself through um, directly speaking to, to people. He has angels many different ways as Hebrews 1 says and then in the last days has revealed himself through his son and him being the head of the church now he is not here physically so we carry on his business and even a, and as referred to in the Bible even we have more of a, a influence in stretching out where Jesus was only in one area it could be one place at one time and that body that was not glorified yet and now the church is everywhere and can make an impact everywhere. So it's in its final form in that sense. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, this was not known before. It's in an, uh, an embryo stage, I guess you could say. Like in a, in a baby stage in the Old Testament. It, it's, it's now in full bloom. You've seen blossoms on a flower and you can't wait till they come out. Like crepe myrtles are just now coming out, or those uh, those great big things are the mallows. You guys seen those mallows? Those flowers, they're they're big and red. They're about this big. Dairy Queen has one of them already bloomed out. It came out this morning. And you see these little buds for for two weeks. You see these buds. You say, I can't wait till they come out. You know, and you you wait. It comes out for a day, and if you miss it, it's gone. But then there are more to come if you have a big one. But, I mean, those things are really cool. Get you a mallow. Put it out in the front yard. <laughs> Great big and red. It's in its, it's full bloom. It's been developed. And boy, I mean, it take, that's, that's what it is now. That this mystery has been fully developed. It's, it's seen. It's known. But it was in the shadow in the Old Testament. They didn't really know what all this meant. And that's why Paul is saying it was something that was not known before, and now it's revealed. Uh, it, fully revealed in the New Testament. Uh, Old Testament passages are only clearly understood by the, the New Testament. If you look in Isaiah 49.6, while you're turning there, I wonder who's winning the home run derby tonight. Boy, that is nothing compared to this, is it? I like baseball. I like home run derbies. But I'll tell you what, this mystery here just plows that into the ground. You guys don't care anyway, do you? I don't think so. Sorry. 
49.6. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Isaiah writes that and goes, Hmm. Okay. All right. Can you remember another prophet who was told to go to some Gentiles? We talked about him about every week. Who? Yeah. He knew God would convert him. He hated the thought, and he said, I knew you'd do that, God. And he was mad about it. Because he knew God. He knew. I mean, he, right? He knew. God. He knew the character of God. Later. That is man. Not relying on God, isn't it? <laughs> now, that was Acts 49, or, uh, Isaiah 49.6. Turn to Acts 13.46 and 47. Do you keep that in mind? Keep that passage in mind. Somebody's starting to get a handle of this by the time the New Testament comes around. That was easy for us, wasn't it? Why, we would have gotten that back there in the Old Testament days. We would have understood that, wouldn't we have? No. No. I still have trouble understanding it now. At least we're honest, aren't we? Okay, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the Word of God should be spoken to you first the Jews. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, listen to this, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And here's one of my favorite verses. We, You know, I was going to stop there, but I forgot about this one. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, yeah, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And here we go. As many has been appointed to eternal life, believed. <laughs> they were already appointed to eternal life. They were elect ones. But somewhere along the line, they have to believe. And that's at the point they did. And, and, and the preacher here is referring to Isaiah. 49.6. He understood it. The mystery has been revealed. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Um, time's sake, uh, we're right at the end here. Um, we, we're right in, at verse 5, aren't we? It talks about the holy apostles and the prophets. We've talked about this before. If you would go back to Ephesians 2.20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This temple that's going up is built on the foundation, the, the, the truths of Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. It's built on Him. The apostles, they are the foundation. It's built upon them. This is revolutionary truth. This is, uh, this is revolting. <laughs> Amazing. And he says it's been revealed. It's been unveiled by the Spirit to his holy apostles. Paul's one of those holy apostles. I'm not so sure how many other times we see holy apostles. I think this might be it. Why didn't he just say apostles? He puts holy apostles. They're set apart. 
And if you reveal a mystery like this, I think he deserves to be called holy. But by the way, you're called holy too, you know that? You saints. The Jeff City saints. And St. Louis. East of St. Louis. Collinsville? Edwardsville. Collinsville saints. We have two saints right back there. The saints, hey, that's like uh, Gentiles and Jews, only we have Illinois and Missouri being in one body. How about that? But you still root for the Cardinals. Not really. Okay, we'll move on. Yeah, they're having a bad year. And I've always been a Kansas City Chiefs fan, so... But then again, no one in St. Louis really ran. I was there, too. I got converted. I don't know. Anyway... But you digress. Uh, and I'm going to digress next week, too. Uh, <laughs> literally. Verse 6. A uh, little brief point here, and, and we're done. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. We already know this, mystery, right? Okay, uh, uh, something here that's really interesting. John Stott points this out, and it gets into technical Greek that's really not very hard. You ready for it? There are three parallel expressions here. And they're composite, meaning that it's one word made up of different parts. One phrase says, fellow heirs. Okay, These uses of the word embrace all that a person receives. Okay, We receive all of this. These right here, um, that's found in verse 6. Fellow heirs, we are fellow members, we are fellow partakers. And it's interesting when when you think of that that there is no outer circle, there's no inner circle. We're all in this equally. Heirs with Jesus Christ. So it's not like somebody's going to be better in in glory than another one. Now there might be different rewards, but nobody is less than another one. And you know, it's it's just hard to imagine what what that's put in, in that sense, I don't know. But it's the whole of God's blessing being jointly put together and that we get to inherit everything. Uh, fellow heirs. Do you have your outlines there? You'll notice that each word in the Greek started out, starts out with a word S-U-N. That means together with... Um, and kleronomai is being an heir. We're an heir together with. Fellow members is soon soma. Soma is body. So the same kind of body joined together. We already saw that this kind of this illustration last week. And then fellow partakers is soon metoka. So we're together with as being partakers. All the promises of uh, the resurrection, glorified bodies, the glorious kingdom, new heavens and new earth. We get that. We're fellow members. We're servants in the household together. You serve the Lord. I serve the Lord. We all serve the Lord. And we do different uh, people, different areas, different ways, different manners. But that's what we uh, do. Uh, We weren't just added in loosely. We're joined together while we do this. Even though we're doing something on our own, we're still joined together. Uh, even people in Illinois are joined with us. 
no way to treat a guest, is it? <laughs> guest. Uh, fellow heirs, we have the same benefits, same problem. What's that? Yeah, we are family. We are more family than we are to our lost literal brothers and sisters. If they're not in the family of God, we are more related than that. So if you don't even have a family you're related to anymore or not, the thing is, you are in the family that's going to be eternal forever. Your spiritual family is forever. physical family is just temporary. That's right. That will not be anymore. We So we've already started something. Isn't it great to know that um, we are in a family that's even much bigger and not to say that that other family God has given us is, is less. I mean, I mean, not to be counted, but this is even, yeah, this is eternal. Uh, thank you guys for uh, letting me be a part of this because this is, uh, I think this is exciting stuff, uh, what Paul was presenting. I think we should be in wonder, we should be in amazement in all eternity at the grace of God that has... Uh, been given to us. He's made everything possible to bring us into the kingdom. We are in that kingdom all growing together up in this body. More to come. Think of who we're linked to in the past. And then you see how um, uh, Paul, whenever he writes this, he wants them to know this and he wants them to know it bad. And by the time he gets finished with his digression, he's going to go back to the prayer and pray that they know what he just talked about. So, our prayer would be that we would understand what all these promises and benefits are that uh, that has happened to us. I think it's quite incredible. Tom, could you uh, lead us in prayer here tonight? Thank you guys for coming out. It has been a joy. It really has been. I can't believe you drive all the way from Illinois, but you were a big part of uh, our early Bible study. Thank the Lord. Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for all the promises that you've given us, all that you've given us uh, in this life and all that you've given us to look forward to, that uh, that togetherness, that, that family that we spoke of. And, uh, and Lord, this fellowship, I, I thank you so much. Uh, you just... You brought me here in time in my in my Christian growth. Uh, was just uh, really careful with me, and uh, uh, it was an answer to prayer from Scripture that I've been looking uh, looking at. And, and Lord, just uh, just the way that you used the fellowship in my life, I, I thank you for that, and, and I'm just so happy to to be back here. Father, I pray that, that you would give us a continued understanding of. of your plan for us, uh, a continued boldness to, to speak out and uh, and to, to share your gospel with everyone around us. Lord, we, we love you. We just pray that, that you would uh, just continue to, to motivate us and show us your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Oh, wait, it's 59 minutes and 20 seconds. We have 40 seconds left. Anything we want to add here?